talk about movies i'm dj and as always i'm joined by my co-host aaron how's it going man it's good dj uh we had a real theater experience this time around so that's always exciting and we're gonna get into the uh the mainly part of mainly movies a little bit which is always fun yes we gotta branch out (laughs) um you mentioned theater experience. I right off the bat, how was your theater experience? I know that you've seen like nobody in theaters, and I've gone back a handful of times. But this, we're talking about a quiet place too, and this definitely felt like the beginnings of being like, all right, folks, movies are back. It felt like maybe Godzilla versus Kong was kind of trying to do that a couple months ago, but now that vaccine stuff has rolled out and it's heating up outside, like it's traditional summer box office, really feels like a quiet place too. Is like a moment in time. Um, so I kind of wonder how that experience was for you. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Godzilla vs. Kong was the true, like, movies are back, and then Quiet Place Part 2 is kind of part two of Return to the Theaters. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and I I think that's also because this, this weekend had both Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella, which we're not talking about on this podcast because neither of us were excited enough to go see it but I mean it did okay at the box office too and I think this is the first time where you had multiple options to go see a a big name movie in theaters like the Godzilla vs. Kong weekend it was like you were either going to see that or you weren't going true and that also came out on HBO Max at the same time so this was a a Quiet Place Part 2 at least was a full like you gotta go to the theater to see this one and I know it feels silly to say, but I'm glad that movies made it out of this whole thing. (laughs) I I know that there are bigger fish to fry and bigger issues in the world, but movies are a fun sense of entertainment, and I'm I'm glad we can still partake in that. Yeah, so at the beginning of my Quiet Place Part 2 showing, uh, you know, sometimes they do those little, like, message from the director of the movie before it starts. Yeah, and I don't know if you got this too on yours, but John Krasinski came up and he's like, "Hey, thanks for seeing this in a theater." And I'm like, "You got it, John." Okay, yeah, that did happen. But at this point, I think Selma Hayek had already popped up for the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, and Cinemark did their own thing to say welcome, thank you for coming back to the theaters. So by the time like Jim Halpert came up. It felt a little bit too much like, thank you, I need money. And I, <laughs> but I appreciate the sentiment. I just, I was told the same thing too many times in quick succession. Okay. Maybe I just got a different experience at the uh, local B&B theater. Uh, um, may, perhaps. Yeah. But also it, it felt weird because, so I went and I recruited my brother to go see this with me because there's no way nice. I see in A Quiet Place Part 2 by myself. Fair enough. Um... And we went on a Sunday afternoon, and there was absolutely no one in the theater. It was just us. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it did feel like he was talking directly to us, which was kind of nice. <laughs> um, so I guess different comparisons. Uh, Grace and I, were, I won't say we're surra- we weren't surrounded by people just because Cinemark was still leaving like a seat between us. 
But both of those groups who were around us were talking. There were like 25 minutes of credits. I was <laughs> my uh, threshold for credits has, or for previews rather has certainly diminished to nothing. Yeah, it was di- it was quite different. Yeah, yeah. No, that is that is much different. And I, like I've even when I went and saw Nobody, which I'll talk about a little bit later, like that had more people in it, but it was definitely different going to a theater with absolutely no one in it. Because I used to go to movies like by myself and there would be two other random people in the theater. And mm-hmm. like it was basically like going to see a movie alone in a theater. And so this kind of replicated that. And that, I don't know. I liked it for this movie more, I think. I don't know. I interested in what your opinion is for a scary movie. Do you like to be surrounded by people or would you rather people not see you as you shriek and scream? Oh, that it. That's honestly hard to answer just because I don't put myself in a position where I'm watching scary movies all that often. I ever. don't either. <laughs> so I don't know if I have a go-to, but I feel like my the way my heart is tugging is I want to be surrounded by people so that um, I feel less alone. <laughs> so that if the monsters escape through the screen, that they've got other options to attack. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, yeah, but I mean, this is, this is a great theater movie. Quiet Place, the first one, I don't know. Do we call it Quiet Place Part 1 now? Is that what we call it? I think we have to, just so that we can delineate it some type of way. (laughs) Okay. So Quiet Place Part 1, I feel like was a true theater experience before we had this newfound appreciation of what that means. Um, mainly because of the sound, like, experiencing this movie in a theater where it goes completely quiet and you can just hear other people like stopping their bite of popcorn mid bite because it's so quiet and they're self-conscious about it. Like that was a huge thing with the first one. And I don't know. I, this, this movie is definitely meant for theaters. And I think that's in a different way than something like, I don't know, a, a Marvel movie or like a Godzilla versus Kong is meant for theaters because that's the scale of it. Whereas this is just like the full immersion into this world and and the sound building um, that goes on with it. I, I don't think you can quite replicate that at home. No, because I think there's a certain sort of tension that is built with the like masterwork sound design in both of these movies that I don't think you can really capture at home because you have so many, like, outs for your mind to go to. Like, you've got your phone right next to you. You can pause the movie and go to the bathroom or whatever. But when you're in a theater, you're, like, really locked in there. So, yeah, it, it's definitely not... Uh, not Like you said, I wouldn't say that this is, like, has to be a theater experience necessarily for scale, but there are so many, like, intangibles that make these types of movies... Uh, impactful for people that i i think you kind of have to be immersed for that to really come through um so yeah uh it's i don't think it's the traditional type of movie i think people were just like oh this is going to bring us back to theaters just because it isn't as loud or bombastic as like a marvel movie or james bond or something but it definitely uh served the purpose i think because you know it looks like box office is is back, which is exciting because you and I like to talk about box office stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it hasn't been easy to do when the numbers are discouraging. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, it, it's sounding like we both liked the movie. Um, we can get into some of what actually happened in the movie. Um, before we do that, did you did you revisit part one? Did you try <laughs> to go back over that at all? I, I assume that you didn't. I thought about it, but then I thought differently <laughs> because I, I don't know. Just something about it was just like, eh, I, I can probably dive right in and we'll be fine. Um, I think I saw like a trailer for this and I knew at some point we'd have a flashback. So I was like, that'll probably set the scene for whatever I need. Um, but on the way to the theater, because Grace did see this with me, um, because she claims that she did not say this, but I know it to be true. She said that the first one didn't scare her all that badly, which I was like, oh, good for you. I was pretty terrified. Um, (laughs) so she saw this one with me and she read the plot synopsis for the first one on the way to the theater. Uh, just because she didn't remember it at all <laughs> and felt like she might want to at least level set. Um, but no, I did not go back and rewatch. I'm assuming you did not either. No, I didn't. And I think I'm actually kind of glad I didn't. Same. Um, yeah, because I, I don't know. I, I think this movie works really well as a sequel, but I don't know if the straight transition from like last scene of the first one into like, we're picking right back up. Like, I don't know, the kids are significantly older, and I feel like there's a few plot holes there between stepping from one to the other um, that I'd rather not think about. Um, okay, interesting. I, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like... I don't, I don't remember the end of part one well enough, but it seemed like they were picking up part two like in the moments after part one ended and Mm -hmm. i felt like more had just happened okay so you feel like there might be a little bit of a gap there that's not necessarily addressed yeah like weren't they being attacked by like like they killed one monster with the like sound device at the end of part one but weren't there more like converging on the farm Yes, they look like look out on their like security system and see like two heading their way. Where, and where did Emily Blunt like go? cocks the shotgun is just like let's get them, uh, and then it cuts to black. And yeah, we do not deal with that in part two, which seems weird because like I guess they wanted to set up the the scene of them like killing one for the first time in part two, uh, in the sense that like. Uh, Emmett, the character Emmett can, I guess, like see that happen and be like, oh, wow, like I've never seen that happen after like over a year or however much time has passed. So maybe it's to get that impact on Cillian Murphy's character. I'm I'm not really sure. But yeah, those two guys just disappear. <laughs> OK, yeah. So that's that's kind of what I'm talking about is I don't know if it's gotcha. like a, a complete smooth like transition, but. I don't know. I I do like both of these movies, so I I think at some point I would go back and watch the first one. Um, okay, where do where do we want to start with this? Hmm. Well, so both of us were very positive about A Quiet Place Part One. I think it ended up in both of our like end of year list, maybe probably more so as a like, hey, this was a scary movie that both of us ended up enjoying. Uh, glad that you know our care for Jim Halpert like helped us. <laughs> Uh, to see this movie because I don't think it's traditionally either you or I's genre. Um, so 
I mean, this uh, the opening scene for this movie, which is a flashback back to, I guess, like day one when everything's happening. I think this was my very favorite part of the movie, honestly. Yeah, I love seeing all like the organized chaos. I thought the the shifts in perspective from uh, Reagan's character, who is deaf, over to um, uh, I keep calling him Jim Halpert. I, I should stop. Uh, John Krasinski's character, like when they're running away, was like the the pinnacle of what I loved about the first A Quiet Place. So them using it interchangeably so quickly, so so upfront in part two, just I don't know. I, I thought that was a really cool way to open it and really establish what that chaos was like on the first day. I love how when like they see the the meteors or whatever hurtling towards the earth and the sky, everyone just starts to like shift and move home. Like that panic is so palpable and no one even has to say anything. So I, I thought that beginning scene, that whole sequence really just captured a lot of great moments. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I think the beginning feels like the biggest, like most bombastic set piece of the movie. Um, I don't, there's the part where Emily Blunt's got one of the kids and is like trying to drive away. And then there's mm-hmm. the bus like out of control rolling towards them with the monster like hanging out from the front of it. And she shifts into reverse. Terrifying. I, that felt like, like a ride at Universal or something mm-hmm. like that, where you're like in a vehicle and it goes all the way up to something and then something starts coming at you and you're going in reverse. Like, I mean, that was just thrilling. Um, and really good camera work because like they put the camera like right next to like Emily Blunt's head, so it uh-huh. feels like you're in that car, and it's just like, oh god, what's gonna uh-huh. happen? It was a great way to start. Yeah, yeah, no that that whole scene was great, um, and it plants some seeds for like uh, what's his name Emmett's character to kind of like overcome his fears that he has early on, and um, I don't know, it was just it was it was well written and well utilized and you got a little bit of john krasinski even though like we know that he spoiler alert died at the end of quiet place part one um so he's not going to be in this one but it was good to have him like for a little bit just because i don't know him and emily blunt are like the safety blanket for this yeah yeah and it also reminded me of something i don't think i remembered about the first but that apparently the aliens or whatever they are have like impenetrable armor which i don't think i remembered about the first because in the first i remembered them like it was very much about the tension of like not making noise or anything but i don't remember them like combating them very much until the very very end so by having the cop like try and shoot her i was like oh i yeah i guess that that is in line with how things exist yeah Um, i guess i just just remember the the end of the first one the whole thing with the sound was that it like expanded its head out and that was like its weak point yeah um yeah yeah i i think if i had watched part one before that i probably would have picked on a little bit picked up on a little bit more here because i i really don't remember how much we're given on the origin of these things at all um I don't think it's that much. Like the meteor thing is a new piece um, to be like, they somehow arrived, I guess from outer space. Cause I don't know if we even knew that they were aliens or if they were some sort of like monsters that, I don't know. I don't think it was ever outwardly discussed. I think there were probably like some cryptic things on like John Krasinski's like, 
conspiracy board like down in the basement when he was doing stuff. I'm sure there was stuff in the yeah. background, but I don't yeah. think he or Emily Blunt were ever like, remember when the meteor came down? Like, I don't think we had that established yet. Yeah, and I think that's honestly one of the things that I appreciated the most about this as a sequel is they didn't rush into just like, oh, weren't those a bunch of cool questions that we posed in the first one? Here's all of the answers to them. Like, right. they, they're definitely taking their time. Like, we get a little bit of an answer in, like, this meteor, but we still don't know a lot. Like, it answered some questions, but I would say after this movie, there are definitely some new questions that you have about the world. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I just like that it's it's able to pace itself and... It doesn't feel like they're completely relying on making more movies. Like, it's not, I don't know, setting itself up that it has to have a sequel, but it's also not playing all of its cards at once. Right, right. And another thing I appreciate about this sequel is that I don't know if I'm super, like, I can wait on, like, the lore for this movie, I think. Yeah. And I feel like... You know, it is a sequel. You want to expand the scope of what you did last time. And it feels like a natural progression that at some point we're probably going to like get like some sort of origin story behind these aliens, blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. And I I guess that's fine. That feels like something we would do eventually in this universe. But I'm glad that that didn't happen yet because that feels a little bit bigger than uh, than I would have liked. Because I think one of the things that I appreciated about A Quiet Place Part 1 is that it was, you know, just about this family. And that smaller scope, those stakes were still high. We didn't have to make it about, like, the world at large yet. So the world building here I was on pace for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think both the world building and just the, like, character story progression... Like, most of our time is spent just, like, suspense and these, like alien fight moments um because i feel like this the second part it's really just like two or three days right oh yeah and it's it's the two or three days after everything that happened in the first one so we're not covering a whole lot of ground we're not really like zooming out a whole lot on the world we're not like accomplishing a bunch of big things it's kind of just like small little steps and you just enjoy the experience of it rather than like i don't know like an mcu level like we've got to flesh out all of these different parts and build this giant universe yeah i mean there's a place for that type of storytelling but i don't i don't think it's it's here with a quiet place part two yeah i guess i just feel like that type of storytelling has kind of taken over most movies so it's nice to have something a little different yeah and i I understand that tendency because even here, I do feel like this movie is very similar to the first movie, especially like the way that the movies end. They feel like they end on very similar notes. And I can see how some people would be like, oh, well, this is like not a carbon copy, but maybe too similar to A Quiet Place Part One, which I don't think is a terrible criticism, to be honest. And I think that is just something you're going to have to combat with if you don't take those big swings to. Um, uh, expand the scope of the cinematic universe as it is. But I I think there's a balance there because sometimes I think you can do that too much and people get fatigued. So uh, 
this is on pace for me, I think, for something that I am enjoying. Yeah, and maybe it's even helped by, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they would disagree, but maybe it's helped by having to wait an extra year. So we're even further <laughs> removed from the first Quiet Place. Um, yeah, I, I think that does help. I wouldn't say that the like sound thing, because this is like the sound movie. That's like what it's known for. But I wouldn't say that's quite like a gimmick. Um, but I, I wondered if they do it too many times, if it does feel like, I don't know, you just know what you're getting. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I yeah. mean, but like with, with like John Wick movies, you know what you're getting with those and you just keep coming back because they're just going to kind of play it over again and do more. Um, I just, uh, my hope for part three is that they continue to use the world that they've built in try and use it in interesting ways. Like one of the reasons we love John Wick is because, yeah, it's about a guy shooting people, but it's like, how is he going to kill these people? Mm -hmm. Whereas for a movie like this, I want to be like, how are they going to escape? I think if they solely rely on like the, uh, the feedback being like a weakness, I, I think that could detract from what I think could be interesting set pieces and I think they yeah. address that here because when Evelyn, like, or not Evelyn, when, um, what's the daughter's name? Reagan. Yeah. When she goes off on her own and she's like in that train car and mm -hmm. she is, uh, like turns on the implant thing and then tries to shoot alien all at once. Like it's, it's very cumbersome. So yeah. I'm glad that they showed, oh, this is like somewhat complicated. Like you have to be somewhat dexterous to do all these different things with an alien, like approaching you. I just think there are interesting ways, and just because they've, like, unlocked the secret, I think that there are going to be plenty of opportunities for, like, cool set pieces where they have to, like, throw things and distract things. Um, I, I think they've still got some places to grow. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, okay. So, I've got... I don't know if you want to go through, like, the plot of this movie, because the plot is basically, like, they're going down the road trying to hide from these monsters mm -hmm. um we can hit some of the like key scenes i guess um or i can just ask some of my lingering questions which aren't necessarily me trying to like poke the movie um but i do feel like there are a few things where i was like what even even if you are just poking the movie i think that's perfectly fine i think we've praised it enough we gotta knock it down a peg uh let's hit some of the some of the other highlights so um, yeah, we start with that amazing opening scene that's kind of a flashback, and then we go back to present day, um, which is supposedly picking up right after A Quiet Place Part 1. Uh, so it looks like the, the whole family uh, heads down or out of their little commune to see if there are any other humans out there, I guess is the, is, I guess is the point. Yeah, plan. so this is, this is my first question, DJ. Okay. Why, oh no, I did not make it very far. <laughs> what, why did they leave? Um, I, honestly, I, I want to hope that it's more like a, uh, emotional choice because they're just like, this was the home that they've lived in all their lives and they've just lost, lost like the patriarch of the family and it's like emotional to like stay because any other reason is not, like, really logical. Like, they seem to have a decent thing going there. I know the barn was on fire or something. But, like, as far as I know, they still have, like, some grain out there. They still had food. They still had shelter. 
So I, and my head, my head canon is like, oh, this was more of a uh, emotional choice um, because they didn't want to stay in a place that you know uh, Lee died. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if that's. I I don't think that's actually on screen. Uh, to be honest. Yeah, and that's. Uh, I guess that kind of ties into the the ending of the first movie where it was kind of being swarmed by these other monsters, like. I don't know, that kind of leads you to believe, like, well, now this is going to be, like, a hot spot for them. But it doesn't mm. seem to be that way at the start of this movie. It does seem to be more of an emotional choice, and they don't directly address it at any point. No, and I think, like, just a a quick scene, I think, would have been fine. Or even if the motivation was, now that we know how to defeat these people, we need to go help others. That would be... I don't want to say foolish because that seems rude, but I, I think they should have given us a little something so that we could get a little bit more on board of why exactly we're leaving. And yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think they do that. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like they go super far either. Um, no, no, I don't think they do, which I think was fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with it. I think it just kind of ties back into like what if it's like that this area is no longer safe, it doesn't seem like they quite made it far enough away. I just don't really understand the motivation. But they go a ways down the road, um, which was a cool I, I don't know, I liked all the slow shots at the start of this movie of mm-hmm. they're kinda like exiting their little sand path and <clears throat> walking through the forest and across these old train tracks. Um, and then they've got this this new baby that was literally born yesterday, right? Um, In the movie it, it may be It may be two days old. Okay. Okay, but yeah. So this is like brand new baby. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and they've got it in a little box that's soundproofed and there's an oxygen tank on it. Doesn't seem like a very viable long-term solution, but... No. Um, I think they discover that a little bit later. Um, so they they run into uh, Killian Murphy's character, which they set him up in the intro scene. So you kind of knew this is... I mean, and he's in the trailers. Like, you kind of knew he was going to be the stand-in for John Krasinski in this movie. <laughs> yes, he was going to be our rugged a rugged leading man (laughs) yes and i feel like killian murphy always plays a conflicted character with like a dark past or something like he's never just a stand-up guy really um he's not quite like john bernthal like douchebag level but no not (laughs) he's he's always got some like problem um yeah, and so he, he kind of shelters them in this old warehouse, um, and they use this furnace that's, like, soundproof, but it doesn't have oxygen in it. They had a lot of fun with that furnace in this movie. <laughs> yes, they did. As as soon as they turned on, like, the, the timer, I was like, yeah, we're going to get some shenanigans here. Uh-huh. Um, Just, like, running out of air, which, it, like, it was well done. And as soon as I saw... Uh, uh, what's her name? Reagan's character put the like towel in the way to like block the handle from going down. I was like, well, someone's gonna forget to do that, and sure yep. enough, that happened, and they got locked in. Like it's there was a lot of stuff that honestly, this is what it does well. 
a lot of things where you're just kind of like you want to yell at the screen like no don't do that like <laughs> and you you just know what's going to happen but that like just increases the suspense and the dread of what's coming because it's, like, it's very it's very stereotypical of like horror movies to be like oh no why are you doing this <laughs> yes yes and maybe it's just that i don't like subscribe to the genre enough but i did kind of enjoy that in this movie um hmm. Yeah, both both the like furnace stuff, and then when uh, Reagan is going off on her own and decides to go through the train instead of around it, I'm just uh, like, what? What are you doing? Don't do this! Don't dilly dally! Don't go searching for things. As soon as the camera is like focused so that you can only see her head and you couldn't see the back of the train, and yep. there was no sound because it's from her perspective, I was like, oh no, we all know what's about to happen, and uh-huh. it was still scary and well done. Yeah, um, yeah, that was great. Uh, they're, they're the um, the family scene, like running to meet Killian Murphy's character when the son like falls in the oh my bear gosh. trap. I forgot about the bear trap. That was one of the most insane scenes I've ever seen, and I think it was so well done. This actor is very good. Um, Noah I, Jupe. Yeah, Noah Jupe. Because he has that moment where he's still in shock, but then like when he realizes what's happening he can't stop screaming and you like emily blunt's character is just like maybe you gotta stop like they're going to get us and i oh man i love the tension that that built because it would have just been so unrealistic if he was just able to be quiet of course he wasn't able to be quiet he just got like, caught in a bear trap yeah uh, or if he just like gritted his teeth and he's just like ah yeah yeah so i i think he did a great job in this movie overall i don't think his character made the best decisions but i think he did a great job yeah yeah i did get a little annoyed with his character like when he he just leaves the baby on its own to go explore this warehouse by himself yeah that was another just like no man what are you doing (laughs) just stay in the bunker (laughs) Uh uh-huh like you were told to like you have no reason to do this you're hobbled already like uh yeah, but I I do think this this movie like Emily Blunt and John Krasinski know that they have like really good young actors in this, mm-hmm. and they clearly want to showcase them definitely in this movie, uh, yeah, more so than the first one because Emily Blunt really doesn't have a whole lot to do in this one. She doesn't, and, but I I I think that was fine. Like I appreciated like getting giving the kids their time to shine. Like it is cool that like at the end of the movie, the younger kids are like saving the adults. Like and the scenes flashing back and forth between uh, Noah Juke and um, uh, Millicent Simmons. I thought that was very cool um, to kind of give them some runway to do some things. Um, let's see. So why while they're hiding out with Killian Murphy and he's like, you can't stay here. Uh, His reasons are a bit unclear other than he's just not a happy camper right now. Um, They discover a song that's playing over the radio and somehow Reagan decides that this is a message coming from um, this island because it's like somewhere beyond the sea. She's like, that means that there's people living beyond the sea on this island off the coast of... I'm pretty sure this is like New York. Yeah. It's like rural New York, maybe. Yeah. 
Um, I'm not sure how she figured that out. And we can get into this a little bit later, but why did this message have to be a code? I don't know. I guess they wanted to make sure that like people who heard it like really wanted to like figure stuff out. It it's definitely not the most helpful. Um maybe anything I come up with is just gonna be pure conjecture, honestly. Like my first thought was like they couldn't record a message, but they obviously could because the whole island was just fine. I don't know. They did not need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like something that could have been explained pretty quickly. And I'm jumping ahead, but they, uh, uh, Reagan and Killian Murphy make it to the island, and uh, Digimon Hansu is on the island, and he is just a very strange character. They did my boy wrong. Hey. <laughs> I um, was I was so excited. I was like, oh, Digimon Hansu, like he's in like a couple different things, but like here he is, like. This is nice. And then just he's got they a did my boy wrong. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't understand what his objectives were with this community. Because he kind of looks at her and he's like, You figured out the message. Like, nice job. And he gives her like a little wry smile. And I'm like, but what what is your purpose in doing this? Like what I, don't I know. like did it he made it seem like maybe they had like made or I don't know, maybe some crazy people have gotten there before and they've had to deal with it, but again, that's pure conjecture. All I know is my man was in the movie like 10 minutes, doesn't even get credited with a name. He is listed as Man on Island. I'm yes. upset. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a bit unfair. What he, a slap in the face. So in this in this scene, and we can go back to anything that we missed, but um, when, of course, the monster makes it across the sea and starts attacking this idyllic little community... He is the like most collected, calm customer that you've ever seen. He's mm-hmm. just like quietly putting his kids in a closet, quietly going out and getting the car started, driving away, like politely honking the horn a couple times. And but he's they, got a look of determination on his face. He, he does, knows what's up. He does, but then they like get there and he's like, Oh, I think we lost the thing. Haha. <laughs> and then he just gets taken. And I was like, What? like i don't know i it just seemed like he should have been a little more alert i Uh, guess i don't know they didn't have to kill my man like that (laughs) i yes i i don't understand what i yeah and he's just i feel like he's just known for this like his characters are always these small little parts and I don't know. I keep wanting him to get a little bit bigger of a bite on one of these roles. And then it was like promising when he shows up in a seemingly key role. And then he's just taken away from us. Mm-hmm. So. um, Okay. Yeah. So I, I skipped some of the middle stuff. Was there anything in there? Um, we've kind of got three plot lines going where Reagan is going on her mission and Killian Murphy goes to um bring her back but then decides to help her basically yeah i didn't love that scene just because there's a lot of whispering going on and i was like i know these characters can't communicate any other way but we've established that there are monsters who can hear whispering (laughs) yeah and i mean it it was definitely for us the audience so that we knew what they were saying 
which is fine. <laughs> it was like she can't hear you. You don't have to like make any noise with your mouth. You can just mouth the words. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so they've got their little adventure going. Emily Blunt goes on a solo mission back to the farm in the dead of night to get some oxygen tanks and some like medical supplies, which she just seems like completely over it. (laughs) She's tired. She had a baby two days ago. She had a baby two (laughs) days ago. And she's just like, I don't want to put up with this anymore. And she gets back and there's a monster at the place because uh, Noah Jupe has been out just rummaging around, causing all sorts of noise to happen, and he's suffocating in his little chamber, and she just, like, walks up to the thing and has a plan. I I love that scene where she, like, sets down the oxygen tank and just lures it out, like, perfectly. Like, it was great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was very nice. And I loved that. Because when all this was happening, they were flashing between like like the weirdos at the boats, and yeah, then we kind of uh, talking about them. Yeah, I'll get there. And then uh, the uh, Noah Jupe like hiding, um, and then Emily Blunt like they were they were flashing back and forth so much, but uh, not in a haphazard way. It felt like a very well storyboarded approach that really built that tension. I hated it in the moment because I was like, oh god, there's so many things happening, so many things could go wrong. Uh-huh. But it was very well done. Um, so I wanted to point that out before we get to the boat folks. Yeah. So what, what are the, what are the boat folks about? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Because while we've got this like intense showdown with a monster, like back at the ranch, you've got, uh, Killian Murphy and, and Millicent Simmons have been kidnapped. They've been lured out onto this dock because they see the boats and they're like, we need the boats to cross to the island beyond the sea. And there's this creepy girl, and you knew it was going to be a creepy girl because her face was, like, covered by her hair. Mm-hmm. And um, she, like, ensnares Killy, or Killian Murphy, and it seems like they're going to, like, string him up and sacrifice him because they've got all these, like, cans connected, and it's going to make a lot of noise. And the, the like, a bunch of these boat people come out, And they all look kind of crazy. And I just don't know, like, are these just people that have, like, lost their marbles from, like, the state of the world? Are they, like, infected with something? Are they just, like, bad people that were always going to be bad people? I don't know. (sighs) At some point, Killian Murphy makes some reference about how the people who are still alive, are not worth saving. Which I'm glad that we didn't get too much into, because that's treading too close to, like, Walking Dead territory for me. Yes, this felt very Walking Dead. Yeah, I was like, I don't don't know if I, like, want to get into that aspect of it. And, I mean, this this is a very common, like, zombie, like, trope. Coincidentally, right now, I just recently have been The Last of Us, and I'm currently playing The Last of Us Part 2. So very much in that, like, you know, the people who are have managed to survive during like a post-apocalyptic zombie world are generally not decent people. But this movie like barely touches the surface there, and then all of a sudden we're just surrounded by what Wikipedia just says are feral humans. Uh-huh. I'm not really sure what we're too. supposed to get from this. Yeah, I don't know. And 
I kind of want to like give the movie some leeway and say this is just like they left a little question mark here as like uh, we could go play with this in part three some more about what these people are about. But it was quite perplexing, I would say, because while we've got the big standoff at the ranch happening, um, we keep flashing back to these feral people and their leader kind of just staring down Killian Murphy. And then it'll cut back to the monster attack and then cut back down to this like stare down and nothing was happening. And I was like, who like say something, who are these people do do anything like anything to give us anything. And I mean, this could have been interesting because I mean, like we, they would have had to communicate without, you know, speaking just because of the state of the world, but they just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I did that. The scene Right following this, when they're trying to take Reagan away, and then Killian Murphy, like, apparently at some point, like, grabs the cochlear implant, puts it in his mouth, and then, like, traps the main guy, and then the alien comes through just knocking people left and right. That uh, was a very fun scene. <laughs> yes, yes. Good good action. Yeah, those uh, things are just like bowling balls, just knocking people out of the yes. way left and right. Yes, and then you've got the brief moment of, like, can these things swim? Because mm-hmm. you see it, like, you see one, like, jump over to the boat, and then you're like, wait, like, is this thing about, because it's kind of doing the thing, like, like, dogs or cats do, where they're, like, about to jump, and they're kind of getting ready to jump, mm-hmm. and you're like, what? And it jumps in the water, and no, it can't swim. So that's good. That is good. <laughs> um, but they build So maybe Hawaii there. has just been fine this whole time. <laughs> Honestly, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe islands are fine. I don't know. Um... But one does float away on a boat, and I was like, we're going to see that one again for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, And we do, on the island. Um, Okay, so we've caught up to the little island scene with Digimon Hansu that I talked about. Um, Uh, One thing that he mentioned is he talks about how, you know, the Coast Guard or whoever knew that things couldn't swim, so people were, like, lining up to get on boats. But then uh-huh. people started just pushing each other, and so only two out of twelve boats left. Like the way he delivers that, it like was so like I could clearly see that scene playing out in my mind of people just not being able to wait, everyone just looking out for themselves, and then like screwing everyone in the long run. I don't yeah. know. Like his description of that small thing, I was like, man, I'm so glad we've got this actor here. And then yeah. you know what happens later. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there was something like that in uh, I Am Legend. Where they were all trying to get like vaccines for whatever their disease thing was, and people were just like overrunning each other mm-hmm. to get it, and it was like causing mass chaos. And it's like, yeah, yeah that is that is what would happen. Yes, you see that the is chaos human that, nature. <laughs> you see the chaos that breaks out in the moment that the invasion starts and the like flashbacks. So you you just know like not everyone is has everyone's best interest in mind. In fact, mm-hmm. almost everyone has only their own interest in mind. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't even, like, need to see that. It was just the storytelling there. I was like, yeah, that that's completely in line with everything and uh, speaks to where we could be if we could work together. But, yeah, I don't know. It was a very small moment, but I found it very powerful. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Um, Emily Blunt and Noah Jupe are still kind of like cornered by a monster and then uh, Killian Murphy and Millicent Simmons are at the radio tower 
um, trying to broadcast the the implant signal across radio frequencies, which was a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you kind of have two like intense moments there. The the like peering around the corners in the radio room was just like classic like monster like bits, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought a lot of that was really good. Where she uh, goes through the window and is trying to just step around like, this soundboard and like just the the camera work of this like foot going down and like almost touching on certain parts and you're like, no, not there. And then <laughs> it like moves over a couple inches and you're like, yes. And then, I don't know, that was just like an excellent little bit. Yes, yes, it was because the camera kept panning down. He'd be like, "Not there, not there." Panned out a little bit more. Oh, not there either. <laughs> yeah, God. Like, not the coffee. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that, yeah, was, that was good great. stuff. Um, and then even leading up to that, like when Killian Murphy like sees the boat, that whole interaction of him like running up, and there's uh-huh. a brief scene before he actually gets to the community, and there's just like this guy picking up this bucket. And it's so so funny because it is so loud. And it's so funny because when we first get to that island and we hear everyone, like even I, because I've been in this perspective with uh, Killian Murphy and uh, Millicent Simmons, I was just like, oh God, there's noise. (laughs) They're being so noisy. What are they going to do? And then I quickly got lulled into a sense of security. I was like, okay, things are fine. But then, yeah, they cut back to that guy raising up the bucket. I'm like, oh my God, stop. It's so loud. Uh Uh. Honestly, it's, I don't want to draw too many parallels here, but it's a little bit like walking into a store now where no one has masks on and you're like, oh, wait, like, what what are you guys doing? You can't do that. And you're like, oh, maybe it's okay. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we're not getting attacked by bloodthirsty monsters, so. (laughs) <laughs> um yeah yeah this was this was all good and then and then they line up the two like final kill shots of uh reagan and Emmett both taking out their monsters um at the same time which was cool yeah yeah um okay yeah is that is that where the movie ends or was there a scene after that I think there's a small scene of them like looking at their like defeated enemies, and then I think we cut to black again. It seemed very abrupt, but reminded me of the first movie somewhat. Uh huh. Being like, all right, they beat the immediate threat. Cut to black. Yeah, and I I like that better than a direct like here's a scene from the next movie kind of oh, yeah. teaser, um, or like an after credit scene or anything. I like that it's just kind of like. You want to know what happens next more so than like, ooh, here's a little bit of what happens next. Are you interested? Because mm-hmm. um, I definitely think they could do a part three. And I think hopefully it's making enough money to where they would feel justified in doing that. I, I think so. I, I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. So just looking at you know, box office wise, this is as of June 2nd when we're recording this worldwide it's at 83 million uh, i think i saw somewhere that the budget for this da, 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 was only 61 million so i i think they can definitely uh find success get to that two and a half times the um, yeah. budget number yeah um, i mean they do have some competition going on later in the summer but maybe there's just going to be like a 
I don't know. Maybe people are just really going to be wanting to see movies again. So maybe its second week might hold okay um, despite other things coming out. Yeah, I think there is, I forget, there's a window where after a certain number of weeks, they're going to send it straight to Paramount Plus. I think it's 45 days or something like that. Okay, which I think is enough time for it to make most of its money, but I I do know that like the filmmakers were not happy with that decision, which, I mean, honestly, they shouldn't be. Like, they, they wanted to keep rolling in theaters and to get, get money that way, but... Yeah, and to be fair, I think, you know, movies make the majority of their money, I think, in, like, the first 30 days. So I can see why they're doing 45 days, but in defense of the filmmakers, I think the A Quiet Place Part 1 actually had pretty decent legs, mm-hmm. uh, especially for a horror movie. Um, yeah, because so it was, I can a, it was see a very why they word of mouth movie where it, right, it, right. it spread around quite a bit. Yeah. So, oh boy, I forgot how much money this movie made. The original Quiet Place made three hundred and forty million worldwide. That's why that's they insane. got a sequel. Yeah, that's why they got a sequel. I wonder how that ranks up to like other like horror movies. Um, but I might have to have an IMDb Pro subscription to figure that out. And hmm. obviously, I don't. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Um, is there anything else we need to cover with Quiet Place Part 2? I really liked it. This is honestly one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Yeah, I really liked it too. It's not a genre I particularly care for, but there's enough technical things there that make me uh, invested. And yeah, I want to see this family again. So I hope we get a, a Quiet Place Part 3. Same. Okay, um, on to our other planned feature of sorts. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the TV series Invincible that's on Amazon. Um, it's an animated superhero TV show, but I feel like I have to say up front, like, if you haven't watched this at all, there's no way we can really talk about it without spoiling some major things. Yeah, and it's only eight episodes. Uh, They started streaming on Amazon Prime in March. Uh, Last one uh, aired April 29th. So I think it's been out for a little while. So hopefully that's enough time for people to have gone and seen it. But uh, we're going to put timestamps and everything in the description. If you have not seen the TV show Invincible, um, you should go watch it. If you listen to this show, then you kind of know Aaron and I's sensibilities. I think we can both give it a, a full recommend. Um, yes, definitely. Okay, I was about to say I, I'm at least assuming well, that we actually haven't discussed our thoughts. Yeah, about so it. you you mentioned it on the last episode and convinced me that I needed to bump it up to the top of my list, and then I watched the whole thing in like three days. <laughs> so that's I was still scared I was that it. I was scared that I had overhyped it because you didn't text me the next day, and I was like, "Oh no, there I go again." I I, I tried to push it too hard. <laughs> Because, I mean, there's a lot of content out there in the world. So uh-huh. I, I think it takes some, you know, some effort to be like, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch this series. Luckily, the episodes are pretty short and everything. But to hear you blaze through it in the same amount of time I did uh, makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah, this was definitely my jam. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Um, this voice cast is stacked and I loved it. Uh it was nice to hear some voices I hadn't heard in a while. Like uh, Jason Manzoukas, always love hearing him and things. 
Zazie uh-huh. Beetz, who I don't know if she's done any voice work before. She's great. So Stephen Ewan, obviously J.K. Simmons, he was like born for this role. Yes. Sandra Oh was great. Uh, yes. Gillian I, Jacobs, good to see her again. I mean, just so really much liked, voice uh, talent. <laughs> I really like Zachary Quinto's robot. I yeah, he was like I don't very think cold. Yes, I don't think I would have been able to like hear his voice and guess. But as soon as like I looked it up, I was like, ah, yeah, of course, of course, that's him. Uh huh. Um, Mark Hamill was in this, and I honestly don't even remember which character his is because I feel like Mark Hamill is just so adaptive at voice work that you don't. Oh, he's the costume designer. Yep, yep, yep. When I watched that first episode, like, I think they were showing the credits, and I was like, Mark Hamill? Who was he? And then I went crazy trying to remember who it was. I had to look it up. Uh, he's he's so good at changing his voice. He yeah. is made to do voice stuff. I mean, it's yeah. like Luke Skywalker and a bunch of voice acting. Yeah. And then Gotta I feel love like, Mark Hamill. I feel like there's a bunch of just, like, I don't know, more classic, like, voice actors where you recognize their voice from, like, either other cartoons or just like, I don't know, something about it feels familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Mulder twins are voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, which don't really know anything about him other than that he does a bunch of voice work and stuff. And it just sounded like a familiar voice. I don't know what, what I recognize him from, but I was like, that sounds like a voice I've heard. His voice is golden. I would kill yes. for that voice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so so voice cast is stacked. Um, the comics were... This is right, right? The comics were written by the same guy who did Walking Dead. Uh, that sounds about right. Um, I think that's right, unless it's just a showrunner. Um, Robert Kirkman? Uh-huh. Yeah, best known for co-creating Walking Dead and Invincible. That tracks because there's a decent amount of Walking Dead alumni here. More so than I thought was like um, just by happenstance. I was like, either someone is a big fan of The Walking Dead or someone is tied to it. Um, yeah, and I mean, he's good at creating story because we loved The Walking Dead at the start of it. We did, um, yeah. It certainly makes me hope that Invincible doesn't go for 12 to 18 seasons. Um, uh, I I think that the comics are all wrapped up and done, and they're somewhat condensed. But okay, that's this good. is a different media. One and two, money. So yes, yes. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So that that front is doing great already. And then I'll also say, like, I really liked a lot of the music in this. There were a lot of good needle drops of like. I don't know. I would say kind of some like Spider-Man-y moments. Where yeah, he's, like, surprisingly flying, modern. <laughs> uh-huh. Like flying around the city or just kind of like doing his like his like hero stuff and they'll just put down some like modern track that's I'm like, oh, I don't know what this is. But there were a couple songs that I like actually looked up and listened to just because I was like, I like what the, whatever this is. And then with Amazon, it's nice because you click a button and it says like, all the voice actors that are in that scene and the music that's playing and you get all that info because they want you to just click a button and buy their stuff. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I feel like all of the surrounding pieces were really great. And that's before you even get into like, this is superheroes and it's a really good story. 
Yeah, and even some of those just, like, small, like, affectations, like, drew me in immediately. Like, the high school that the main character goes to is, like, the Reginald Vell Johnson High School, which is the name of the person who played Carl Winslow in uh, Family Matters. And what I, a deep cut. I, I know. I was watching this uh, this first episode I watched um, with our buddy Roland, who's been on the podcast before, him and Josh. And as soon as like Reginald Vell Johnson High School popped up, we were just like, Carl Winslow? What a weird callback. <laughs> like, it, it felt very, I don't know. It, it's cool to see stuff like that I, that I feel like is usually like, I feel like that background dressing is usually reserved for like 80s or 70s type of callback. So I was like, oh, here I am with some 90s callbacks. That's making me feel old, but it's very cool. Yeah. And um, what was I going to say? I had just watched the first season of Justice League after Justice Ooh. League, like the four hour Snyder Cut came out just because mm-hmm. I was like in the mood. So I was like very much here for this. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it does seem directly inspired by like that. Like it feels like Static Shocky to me. Oh yeah. Um, just I, in even some of like the teenageness of it. Um, um, so I I feel like you could have had all those ingredients and still like had a decent show, but I really did like the story of this. Um, it I feel like the thing people say is it's like superheroes for adults. And I don't know, that can feel a little like cringy to me of like, yeah. well, it's, it's it's still like animated superheroes. I know that it's like R rated, but I don't know. It gets a little like Deadpool fanboy to me. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it could go that way. I don't I don't think this has gotten quite there, but I think I was a little worried about that. That's that's valid criticism. <laughs> um, And I don't think it does that because I, I think it's. It is basically like a Saturday morning DC cartoon. They've just allowed themselves to have basically violence and maybe some like swearing in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I you get through basically the first full episode, and I think this is where spoilers will actually come in. Um, but the end of the first episode, like up until then, it's like, oh, that was not like this is a nice little show. And then they kind of do these like fake out, like I think it's almost making fun of post credit scenes where they start the credits, they run like two slides of credits and then give you like the most important scene in the whole show. Right. (laughs) Um, And they did that in this first one where uh, Omni-Man just destroys the entire like whatever their name is, Justice League. Justice League. I'm going to call them the Justice League. We all know. (laughs) It's like the Justice Syndicate or something. And he just destroys all of them. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And then the credits roll. But I mean, that that first episode, like that's what draws you and makes you binge the rest of the series. It's it's so well-timed and paced and the reveal is so like perfect. Yeah, you you can't watch that first episode and then not just be immediately hooked. Like it's yeah, and it it reeled me right in. And you know, even beyond like this conflict between like Omni Man and the Guardians of the Globe and like that that mystery that goes throughout the season, I think my favorite thing about this is that it seemed to like seamlessly like expand the world in such an interesting way. Like uh-huh. the very final episode when Alan the alien comes and is talking 
to Invincible about like what is he going to do next. And we flash around to all of these different groups that we've all uh, dealt with throughout this season, which is somewhat short, I would say. But there are so many different interesting threads that were spawned by this that felt just like natural progression that I was so excited to see what's going to happen next because I was like even beyond like the whole Omni-Man thing. This world feels so rich and full already that I'm ready to delve in and see what's, you know, going on with Titan, to see what's going on with, like, the Martians, to see what's going on with the new Guardians of the Globe. Like, there are so many different places to go, and I think that's so cool that we're getting that already. It didn't feel like they rushed it. It just felt like, yeah, this is the world, and these are the the different things we're going to have to deal with. And I thought that was very cool. I think the idea that, like, this character's actions matter and that there are, like, lasting consequences to them. Because you get kind of an episode-by-episode, like, this is, like, the monster of the week, like, Mm -hmm. problem that they have to solve. But then to kind of go back to those, and and you see it within the season with the uh, Mauler twins, that they kind of, like, come back and are significant parts of the series, although they were defeated in the first, like, couple minutes of the first episode. (laughs) Yeah. Um. And I think even in the first episode, you get, uh, what was his name? Titan, Mahershala Ali's character um, that comes back in a big way later in the season. Yeah. And had like a really cool cool story with a lot of depth to it. And it seems like he'll play in later. So, yeah, I I really like that it's all kind of connected, not just like, here's a villain. Now he's defeated. Because that is something with like having just watched Justice League. It's like every like they do two episode sets where you're like fighting this villain and then you just jump to the next thing. And it's like, well, what, what happened? Like, are they they in jail now? Are they like, what are they doing? Um, yeah. So it does play around with some of those ideas quite a bit, um, which makes it feel a little fresh, uh, but it also, I don't know. It's, it's this fine balance between fresh new stuff and relying on, what you know and expect out of a cartoon superhero show. Yeah, definitely pushing some boundaries, but yeah, Invincible's great. I am Yeah, it really is good. Excited I, to see what's next. Yeah, me too. I I'm glad that there's already I think two more seasons already confirmed and I I don't know, I'm I'm already hoping that those come sooner rather than later. Me too. We'll um see. Cool. Well, yeah, that's that's invincible. Um, definitely one of the best things I've seen this year. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about before we we wrap this one up? Uh, quickly. Uh, also this weekend, a Bo Burnham special called Inside came out. Uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, this is his first special in five years since the release of Make Happy, also on Netflix in twenty sixteen. Um, during the tour for that, uh, Bo started to have like panic attacks on stage and everything. So that was, uh, not doing the best, uh, for his mental health. So that is kind of when he decided to pursue other avenues. That's when he wrote and directed eighth grade as well as, uh, starred and, uh, kind of helped tighten that script up in promising young woman. So this was kind of like his first, you know, foray back onto like being himself and yeah, I mean, I think this special is brilliant. I think it's extremely vulnerable 
And I think that a lot of the mental health issues that he has are explicitly highlighted here. And I, I think that some people watching this, it may be somewhat therapeutic, uh, hopefully not triggering to um, kind of go through his mental journey because the special is just Bo Burnham alone in a room, in a single room in his house. Um, he shoots and lights and edits the whole thing himself. It's a marvel just technically. Like there are some very, very cool uh, scenes and just the way that he shoots things and lights things. You can tell that it's a true artist who's very deliberate about what he wants to show on screen. Uh, that goes along with editing as well. There are certain like uh, what I would call like classic Bo Burnham things, which is songs that are eviscerating a very particular part of something. So he has a song, I think it's called like White Woman's Instagram. Um, my wife felt very called out by this song. But <laughs> just the fact that all of the small vignettes he has in that music video it it must have taken him so long to do by himself, and it it's really a marvel. But I will say, like, I I think the special is brilliant. I think it's like thirty percent comedy, and that's being pretty generous. I think a lot of it is very uh, handles very heavy themes. But if you like Bo Burnham, I I think that this special is uh, very much him and. Honestly, the way I'll leave it is like, I, I hope he is doing okay with his mental health because a lot of that seems to be kind of up in the air and makes you question kind of how the pandemic and being shut away has kind of affected him. And, um, you know, this is a person who I've been following for a while. I sincerely hope he's doing okay, but, you know, he created this whole project and he spent a long time on it. So at the very least, I think it's it's worth a watch because, you know, he, pu he put some effort into it and it obviously shows. Um, it, it's something special. I've never seen anything quite like it, but it's it's definitely Bo Burnham. Hmm. No, that sounds really interesting. I have seen it kind of getting getting discussed a little bit, um, so I might I might have to check that one out. I don't know if I'm like would call myself a Bo Burnham fan, but I like everything that I've seen him connected to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I'll have to I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, let me know what you think, because I might, because I, I think I am a pretty big Bo Burnham fan. I don't know if, like, this type of medium is going to work for everyone. But honestly, just from, like, the technical aspects alone, I think you'd be pretty impressed with all the set pieces he is able to light and shoot all on his own. It is, it's certainly something. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I thought this was more like a traditional Netflix, like, stand-up special. But it sounds like there's a lot more to it than that. Right, which is why I really want to preface. This is not like a stand-up. This is a Bo Burnham, like, art something. But it's it's not a stand-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, um, and then you briefly wanted to talk about Nobody, which you saw in theaters a couple weeks ago, I think, right? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just give a couple-sentence review of this. So this is while uh, my wife and I were hiding out at her sister's house because our house was under siege by bats um, not a very fun week for us but i i went out by myself to a theater and saw nobody which was kind of just like cathartic to go see a movie by myself um nobody i mean you've seen the trailer for this it it looks like bob odenkirk as basically a john wick type character i did um, not see the trailer for this i 
saw the poster and I saw people saying that it's supposed to be him as John Wick. And I was like, I don't know if I want that. I will say, so I think the director was maybe one of the co-writers or co-directors on one of the John Wick movies. Yeah. Um, has some John Wick roots in it. This is Bob Odenkirk as John Wick. Like, okay. Like yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> there is, there's not much more to it than that. Um, it, which was kind of disappointing. The more like similarities that came into the the story. I mean, the the fighting is very John Wicky. I think like Bob Odenkirk spent like two years getting in shape for this role, apparently. Okay. Um, well, and that makes I, me feel like, bad. <laughs> like he he looks fit. Like I don't. I think I was worried it would be like unbelievable that Bob Odenkirk was like this character. I don't think that was my problem with it. Um, I think it's just that it borrowed way too much from John Wick and mm. down to like, there's like a Russian mob boss and he basically accidentally kills his son. And now he has to go like finish the job or this Russian mob boss is going to like come for him. Like the, the plot beats are very similar. Um, there's not quite as much of the like John Wick, like underworld lore that kind of, I don't know, had this like, added like a little extra flavor to the John Wick movie. Um, and I think that just made it feel like definitely less than like John Wick one. It wasn't like a bad movie. It had some fun scenes in it, some fun set pieces, but if you're looking for anything other than like a ode to John Wick, then you're not going to get it. Okay. I, and I don't need that, honestly. I, yeah, yeah. I just don't. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I did either, but it was, it was all right. And I don't know. I like Bob Odenkirk. I don't know if like action is where I would expect him to go at this point in his career. Um, it is interesting that he's only two years older than Keanu Reeves. Um, definitely seems like he's quite a bit older. But that yeah, I'm might... sorry, but I think of him as so much older in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that's probably more on Keanu, though, yeah. of maintaining his youth. Um, yeah, but not, not a bad movie, but definitely just a knockoff of John Wick. Okay. I feel less bad for thinking that without <laughs> giving it the time of day then. Yeah, I yeah, I feel like I came here to say your suspicions are correct. Cool. All right. That's all I needed. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, I think that just about does it for us on this episode. Um, do you want to share news of what we're doing next? Yeah, I think that we've got enough... <laughs> Enough stuff that is finalized and <laughs> ready. I hope nothing changes. But right now, um, uh, we're recording this uh, June 2nd. And the next movie coming up that we will be interested, uh, surprisingly, is not The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We liked Quiet Place Part 2. Is it time to get into The Conjuring verse? I do not think it is. I think both of us are going to hard pass that movie. And wait until the next weekend when Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights comes out into theaters. But we won't be discussing that alone. We are going to be uh, joined by the lovely folks, uh, the trio at Discovering Directors. Uh, that's a podcast that both Aaron and I have both 
had the opportunity to do some guest spots on. Uh, we love those guys. They go through a director at a time, their entire filmography. Uh, very interesting premise. Um, if you like our show, we think that you'll like theirs as well. But we are going to have Ethan Page and Sydney over to talk about In the Heights, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, Hamilton, because I don't think Aaron and I have had a full conversation about Hamilton yet. And just, you know, anything musical that uh, we would like to talk about. So it's going to be a very big episode. We are very much looking forward to it and watching In the Heights, the movie. It's going to be a good time, but uh, do us a favor. Get yourself familiarized with the folks over at Discovering Directors by finding them at whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. Yeah, super excited to have those guys on. Um, I feel like it makes my anticipation for In the Heights a little greater. I think my wife is probably more excited for it than I am, but I think it'll be a lot of fun to, to talk about it with those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to like, dissect a musical that's not something you and i usually do so (laughs) i think we'll be flexing some different muscles but yeah definitely gonna be something i'm gonna have to see if i can try and squeeze in uh listening to the soundtrack a couple times before we actually record (laughs) yeah that's not a bad idea but we'll see so that's what's coming up next so we'll be off for a week and then hopefully that uh following week after in the heights comes out we will be joined by discovering directors uh make sure you go give them some love with their podcast as well. And with that, we'll see you next time. Bye.